0: What's up, everybody? I'm Joe Winners Jr., the founder of Daily Path Academy and your host of Daily Path Podcast. Welcome back to the show. And thank you for joining me this morning. Um, I'm joined with a special guest. But before I introduce him, I want to say um, really fast, give you a quick reminder that if you are a speaker, culture consultant looking to build a globally top rated podcast where you can reach and change lives around the globe, I would like to help you do that. Go to JoeWintersJr.com and book a free discovery card with me. That's J-O-E-W-I-N-T-E-R-S-J-R.com, JoeWintersJr.com. Now, without further ado, um, the special guest for today is Steve Conwell. He is the CEO of Final Ascent, where they advise middle market business owners to create attractive, exit-ready companies that sell for maximum value, creating wealth and legacies that last for generations. Very powerful work. Very powerful work. Steve, how are you doing today? Doing great, Joe, man. Thanks for having me on board. You're welcome. Thank you for joining me today. I mean, I, I truly feel um, blessed to have you on the podcast. Uh, you know, I'm an entrepreneur myself, as you know, young entrepreneur. I've been blessed to have some great success. But um, there is a lot that um, I, I'm going to get to pick your brain about today. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for joining me. Um, it, you know, can you tell us your story? You know, how how, how did you get into what you do?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I started the accounting route, uh, which, uh, yeah, boring probably comes to mind. Uh, so I used to do financial statement audits and, uh, you know, I actually audited a company that was uh, in the Internet world. This is back like in 95. And so I got to do my first little risk venture as a controller for this you know, crazy Internet startup, which lasted about 13 months. But it was that kind of delving into the entrepreneurial community and kind of what, what that was all about, which is totally new to me. Right. Um, and got into all kinds of things like IT audit and cybersecurity and internal audit and project management and consulting right. for the Fortune 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, it led me to, it built a tremendous foundation for starting my first company. Mm. Uh, now, granted, we did a lot of that same work, we did a recruiting nationally, we did IT audits and risk consulting engagements, but that was where I learned, you know, how to build a company, what was important uh, to get me out of being in the weeds with the business, right? Because I right. can't function, it can only get as big as me, and that's not going to be that big, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you got to be able to expand past that. And, uh, you know, inadvertently just started learning the things that made a business valuable, Now granted, we didn't know that at the time, but you know, we systematized everything and we leveraged technology and systems and processes and org charts and just all the things that really mattered so that when suddenly we got this call out of the blue from like the number nine firm, we were able to sell the company, Mm. not having a clue how to do it. And I will say I easily left two, $3 million on the table, because I mean, we didn't know, you know, what it meant to actually sell a company. Right. Uh, I think we thought we had a good deal. But it was just the impetus of, uh, for me, that entrepreneurial spirit that was always there. I just never knew it. Yeah. And so we built a couple more companies and kind of got to this stage with final ascent. And, uh, you know, here we are, we get to work with business owners that uh, have got some fabulous vision and ideas and cool companies and you know, for me, that, that satisfies an entrepreneurial gene. Because I don't know about you. I'm always like, you do what? Right. <laughs> that's really cool, you know, right. and get excited about it. And then we get cranked up because we want to grow their value and, you know, build that exit for them right. uh, so they can go on and do bigger and better things or, you know, sit by the you know, Hawaiian condo and do nothing, you know, if that's what they'd like to do.
0: Right, right.
1: Uh, married with uh, my beautiful bride of, uh, gosh, almost 28 years. And I've got uh, two kids, one's an Aggie's, uh, and the other one is a North Texas Eagle. So we've got kind of green and maroon battling <laughs> each other. But uh, yeah, that's uh, just a little bit about me.
0: Right. I'm, I'm siding with the green, by the way, as well. That's where I got my master's. So
1: Oh, ah, there you go. Yep. <laughs> yeah, BSMS in accounting, go mean green.
0: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let, let me ask you, Um. so I know you've learned a lot in business since your first company, but for an entrepreneur that's in their first company, if you could look back to when you were in your first company, what was the single most important lesson for success then? And and if you felt if you feel as if there's really more than one, could you give us like the top two or three most important lessons for success?
1: Yeah, I was actually gonna say two. Uh, one, this is gonna sound harsh, but I just can't tell you how many companies and business owners spend way too much money, you have to fire earlier. And you have to take longer to hire.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, so so take longer to hire, but fire early,
1: fire earlier. I'll tell you, I I hired a guy who was a friend of mine, I'd done him for a long time. um, As a VP of professional services for our firm. Great guy, but like that was not his role. Mm. At the time, we didn't really know that, but we kept him on the bus with us for 16 months when realistically, probably four to six months in, we knew it wasn't a fit. But here's mm. what happens. You spend a year spending an inordinate amount of time fitting a rock like it was a square peg in a round hole. Right. They're not going to fit. Right. Now, he knew it and we knew it. Right. But at the end of the day, I burned another you know, 150 grand in salary. Mm. Uh, and so that's a tough lesson. I, I tell my clients all the time get your hiring processes down pat, get your behavioral in- inter- interviewing techniques squared away, mm. understand the roles that drive revenue and help you grow your business and really hone in on what's important and what's going to make a person successful in that role. Right. And if it takes you another two months to find the right person, that two months will be worth its weight in gold. Right. Um, that's one thing. The other thing, um, when I started my second company, I chatted with an army of other entrepreneurs. And what took us a year in our first company to get set up, we got set up in like six weeks Mm. in the second company. Mm. And just what I learned was that it didn't matter what industry they were in. We all have business processes behind the scenes. We all have vendors. Yeah, absolutely. And so (laughs) just asking, I mean, how did you overcome this process, this issue, this challenge? And so I, I would say, you know, sit down with people that, some are going to be in your sector, but others aren't that are successful entrepreneurs, right. and they they love to just sit down and visit and mentor you. Right, that would be something I think that would be uh, vitally important as well. And then here's the last one. I just thought of another one, super important. If you can start building your company from day one, the way it needs to be to exit for maximum value. Mm that right there will be probably the biggest advice I can give you
2: Mm.
1: because we'll talk to business owners and we'll take them through our system. And then we we get them ready to sell. They'll go, gosh, I wish like I'd started my company running this way because it'll attract buyers, Mm -hmm. right? It makes them not only ready to exit, but to maximize their value. So when they do sell, they get it for the most amount possible. and so that's something because I will say you never know when that buyer is going to come calling right and you'd rather be ready to sell and turn them away right than to have to sell and you're not ready and you sell for 50 cents on the dollar
0: okay so so let me let me recap those number one was fire early take longer to hire number two in a nutshell is mentors to some degree right Mm -hmm. You're, you're speaking with other you know and I guess we could you know, they could be mentors or peers, but just other people um, that, that have went through the process, same industry, different industry, doesn't really matter. And then lastly, building your company from day one to exit, if you can.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. You may, you may never exit. Yeah. You may never exit. But by golly, you know, if you do, it is going to, when I say, you know, difference between hundreds or millions of dollars, it could be that big. Right. Millions of dollars a difference in value.
0: That's, that's massive. So, so with, you know, I think this is the perfect time to ask you then, could you walk us through the stages of exiting a business? Right. Like, and, and, and speaking to, and yeah, I mean, I know it, it probably is a lot of it. Right. But like, mm-hmm. if you could just give us even the bird's eye view, right. Like what would you say is like, okay, I'm starting my business. How would I start from day one building it as if I was going to exit? Like what are those stages to exit?
1: Yeah, it's uh I mean how much time we have there Joe? <laughs> we,
0: we we have quite, I have quite a bit of time. I hope you have. <laughs> hey, we, we 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 could we could spend the rest of the interview on this question if you like. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, no. Um I will we'll do we'll, we'll do this in three segments, okay? So we're going to do the I'm going to coin it like the entrepreneurial segment first. Okay. And then we'll then we'll segue into mature kind of thinking now ready to exit business okay and then the exit process the true exit process on the back end right okay so on the entrepreneurial side obviously there's gonna be some basics like get your get your own internet domain get your logo built uh, you right. can use like a 99 designs right. uh, is great to right. get a logo built for cheap right uh, and don't do like uh, you know Bob Smith consulting at gmail.com right? I'm right. telling you, we see this all the time. Right. That's the main Gmail address for the owner when they go to sell. And what does it make you, what do you think about on that? It just makes you feel unprofessional,
0: small, right? right, my, unprofessional. My, my, my my mentor, my mentor called it doing rink-a-ding business. He was like, look, you can't be out here doing rink-a-ding business. I need you to get info at your company's name or joe at company's name i'm, I'm following you I'm following Yeah, you.
1: absolutely now that sounds so obvious but it, it's incredible how much we see that um you're gonna have to get a professional website now we don't, we're we not talking about an inordinate amount of money to get this put together but that branding and awareness is really critical right. Uh, right just to help with that right feeling when somebody goes to your site they need to feel something right if i don't look at a site and just go all right I, I, I can see the blood, sweat, and tears in this company. You know, yeah. I, I can tell what they're about, right. what, they're, what they're trying to convey to the audience and what makes them unique and different, right. which is super important, right? What makes right. me different from my competition? Why can I charge these prices versus what, you know, Sam mm. down the street charges? Right. So that, that stuff's important. Um, I think a lot of people wait too long to sit down and think about digital marketing and how that can advance your cause when it comes to sales.
0: Why why do you, why do you think that is? Why do you think people wait too long to do that?
1: Uh, Some people just, they aren't aware of it, to be honest with you. They they don't understand about like search engine optimization. They may kind of understand about pay-per-click. They don't understand about like the dynamics of how you sell with like social media Mm. and how you build campaigns that are successful. That's definitely a big one. Yeah, absolutely, and just you know, LinkedIn marketing, and there's so much to that. Now, I'm right. not saying that like you're gonna. This is this is designed to complement your sales team, right? But if you don't start thinking about it early, you can have the greatest site on the planet, and nobody can find it, right? Look, Google, what they have a trillion dollar market cap, and they do that because of the amount of money they make on ads, and right. so they're not going to let you come to the table and play like on that first and second page, you've got to pay to be there. It's just right. blood, sweat and tears. Right. So start really small. Right. You don't have to spend a lot of money initially, but just start really small, building that presence. You know, organically starting to index your site and right. get your site to slowly start moving up the food chain. So eventually it will show up mm-hmm. on that first page. And I will say for certain industries and certain search terms and things like that, it is a war zone to right. get on the first page. And I mean a battle right. that goes on to get there. But downstream, that's going to be worth its weight in gold. Right. Okay. So right. Th- those are just some of the super basic things. You know, document your processes. So get job descriptions, have an org chart. Right. You know, have, you know, a CPA, look at your accounting uh, records. Right. Uh, and right. use QuickBooks. Use an actual accounting system. Because I, I we'll actually get large companies that... There's nobody professionally looking at what they're doing and they literally will look at their bank account on their phone and go, Hey, we're doing well, but that's not how to like professionally run your company. Right. And so you want to make your financials work for you Mm. so that you can make effective business decisions. Right. Um, Some of the other basics are, you know, obviously getting a business plan together, but really building projections. Right. And that's recommended for smaller businesses starting just, you know, a month of, a month of uh, 12 months of monthly right. when, when you're building the projections and two years of annual will be fine. Okay. But going through that process, it is eye-opening
0: okay. to
1: just peer into the future and you peel that onion back and they start to learn how do we build revenue? What are those small components and things that like assumptions that we make to grow? Right. And that provides that roadmap to step. Okay. We're three years, five years out. Now I want to go one year out. Mm -hmm. Then I want to go 90 days out, right? 30 days. What am I doing this week to be successful? Right. So, so what you're probably hearing, you start to become more systematized on how you do things. I, I I would recommend it doesn't need to be this like tremendous book, but come up with the, the ABC company way right or the xyz system of how you do things and what makes it different Most you know, definitely. I, I hear this example of like um i was talking to a business owner earlier this week and she's just she can sell her services in her sleep and she's got a high-end business that uh, sells to attorneys so they, they do they create uh, take expert witnesses and they bridge them with attorneys and she's a machine, and she's a fabulous entrepreneur. And I told her, I said, uh, here's the thing. So what's naturally in your head, the phrases that you say, the the pauses that you'll put in something, the way that you naturally like take a attorney from like step A to Z in the sales process, you can codify that entire thing. This will make your company like, you know, $850,000 per revenue per employee. Mm. Okay. Wildly successful, but she could 10X her company getting what's in here out there. Right. You know? Right. And what's great about her is she's heavy into systems and process and it's like it resonated. Okay. I want to get it out of here. And what did that do? It will free up her time. Mm. And it frees up her time to think more strategically about things. So I talked about a lot because we could spend like 10 hours specifically talking about this, but let's go jump ahead.
0: Right. Right. So
1: when your business is exit ready, um, there's certain key things that buyers hunt for. So the biggest thing you want to do, you want to take your entrepreneurial multi hats, hats that you wear and set them off to the side, put the seller hat on and think like a buyer. Mm it's the only way as an owner to be a hundred percent objective about your business. You want to look at your business, the way buyers who want to acquire your business, look at it. Mm. Okay.
0: Mm, That's powerful. Uh, Yeah.
1: It's it's such a critical thing. We actually, when we visit with entrepreneurs, we have to business owners in our sweet spots, about 10 million in revenue to 150 million. Right. It really doesn't matter on the spectrum. We have to get them to put their baby aside. Right. Right. And look at their baby the way a buyer is going to look at it. And right. so buyers are going to look at the professionalism of their accounting. OK, they're going to want to see growth trends. They don't want them to thrive, not survive. I'm not going to buy uh, a dumpster diver type business. They want ones that are successful and moving. Right. OK, so 30 percent year over year revenue growth, 20 percent you know bottom line net profit growth year over year. Just move in this direction like right. this.
0: Can I ask you a quick question with that baby yeah. case? So being that they want to see a business that's thriving and they see the annual growth to some degree, if a business, let's say just throw a random number out there, right? You work with businesses that do 10 million to 150 million. So let's say a business is doing $10 million annually, but they've done $10 million annually every year for a decade. Is that just surviving or not necessarily because they're doing too much? Like, because there's no growth there, but they're doing the same amount of revenue.
1: Well, so I, I would I would really want to understand why have they not grown anymore? I mean, we're talking like a 10 year stretch, right? It seems right. something is going on that's preventing them from getting to that next level. Uh, my gut would be that over that 10 year stretch, if we take your example here, they start selling like a lot more things to fewer hmm. customers, so they start losing that like initial niche they had that allowed them to get their run, right? Okay, and so now they sell so much stuff that a buyer looks at them and goes, "Like, what do you do? You know, right. like I'm an adjacent industry, but I really only like twenty percent of what you do, right? So I'm not going to buy the whole thing and scrap eighty percent, so right. I can take that twenty and you know ten or, 20 right? Twenty exit, right? So that would be one thing I really want to understand. 10 million in revenue, if they've stuck that way, are they, Are their gro- have their gross margins improved at all? Uh, are they lean and mean in their expenses? Like mm. have their net profits improved? Like something just doesn't doesn't seem right to me on that equation. Because right. to hit that $10 million number, you're in that eight figure range. Right. You're, you're poised to make that leap to like 25. Mm. You've got enough horsepower, enough employees and staff and like management type team to get to that next level. So as a a buyer, buyers think about risk. So if you think about an iceberg floating in the water, they can see that top like 10 percent. Right. They're worried about the 90. And and I would suspect that most of them, they'd be concerned and and probably walk away. Something doesn't sniff right with me.
0: Mm, That that that's that's some that's some great insight there. Added some great insights. Th- thank you for sharing that. So I, I know you. Were, I know you were continuing. I just wanted to jump in there and, and add that based on what you were saying. So um, yeah, y- y- you can continue on.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it was a, it was a great question. Um, the other thing that's hard for for sellers to think about is buyers. They are bigger than that. They've been there, done that. Right? They're serial entrepreneurs. They're like <laughs> family owned businesses. So one of the big things that they look at is can they scale and grow that business? Is there big potential to scale and grow? Right. 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 And so they want to buy a business where they see that and then let's go run. Maybe they have five locations. They've, they've figured out that franchise prototype. They've got five locations. They know how to do that. They all do the same thing. We're going to have a hundred locations and we're going to buy them and we'll take them all over the U S
0: right. We can. That's scale how, that.
1: That's how that next tier buyer is going to look at them. They're also going to look at cash flow Uh, and cash flow is super important. Um, I hear this all the time. Ask how our industry does it. You know, we get paid net 60 and our suppliers, you know, we have to pay faster, net 30, net 45. Well, the great companies, because I can promise you, like in that industry, there's somebody that has reversed that trend and they've got a lot more cash coming in much faster than they have it going out. It's going out much slower. It's coming in much quicker. So, they've created a positive cash flow engine. Mm. So, I would rather buy that company than a company twice the size that has it reversed because it's going to cost me as a buyer
2: right.
1: a lot more money to operate that other business, even though it's bigger. Mm. This one, I could 10X that business and it's not going to cost me a dime of cash, right? Right. Because every dollar that comes in, it's be coming in twice as fast as it's going out. So you can really grow and scale a business like that.
0: That makes sense. Um, That makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's other things, you know, recurring revenue. We hear that all the time, like uh, your cell phone contract type revenue, revenue that uh, uh, multi-year contracts, really important and valuable. Um, What makes the business unique? Uniqueness is that everybody's hunting for the purple unicorn, right? Um, but at the end of the day, oftentimes, it's what makes your business unique from your competition so that you stand out, okay? Okay. So how often are as you as a seller, like, look at your competition to go, oh, my gosh, man, Joe down the street is doing this one thing. Like, we do that 10 times better. But if I look at all my marketing material, all my sales stuff, my website, none of that's highlighted anywhere. Mm okay um and then the owner dependency the is the business dependent on the owner to operate so we kind of explain it this way if uh consultant friend of mine she's phenomenal so she she loves to say it this way she says if aliens came down and picked you up and took you to Saturn and you had like no access to you know, cell phone, email, technology, you might as well be on, on another planet where right. you are,
2: right? Right, 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 you,
1: you are. <laughs> yeah, you are. For six months, what would happen to your business?
2: Mm.
1: And most of them, a lot of them would just crater because they're dependent on the owner.
2: Mm.
1: So when a buyer sees that, what's going to happen is if they do buy the business, there's going to be two things. One, the buyer's going to say, look, I'll give you 50% upfront in cash The other 50%, you're going to earn it, let's say over three to five years, Mm. and you're going to hit these targets. And based on the targets that we agree to set, you'll then get your money back maybe and then some. Right. Well, if you're 67, 70 years old, you're a baby boomer, like, do you want to work another three to five years? You probably don't. Right. Uh, And so in those situations, you know, buyers, they really weigh that, you know, do we discount it? Mm. And kind of take that owner, do maybe a one-year consulting agreement, you know, get everything out of that, that owner's head that we can. And mm. we're going to give them instead maybe 80 cents on the dollar to kind of account for this differential because we know we're going to have a dip because it's dependent on them and they'll buy it that way. So that's, mm. that's, a, that's a tough one. I've seen companies that have the business owner's name and the company name. And the, the business is so wrapped up in that the owner's name that a new buyer, it, it's just not gonna work. Right. So those are, those are some of the things that are really critical. And then as far as selling the company, um, you know, obviously it's finding the right exit team right. that you can work with. So you know, M&A attorney, uh, M&A advisor, kind of like our company, right? Be I mean, true that sits in the mergers and acquisitions, right. that lens, that sector. Um, you know a strong CPA that has transaction experience right that understands like the tax implications of a sale and how to like reduce the, those taxes for that yeah. um, and then you know that M a advisor that can sit on that side of the table with you and negotiate, with very seasoned, very sophisticated buyers, because they could be private equity firms, right? right? They could be, you know, family owned conglomerate that's got 50 companies and they're adding you onto their portfolio. Mm. They're very seasoned, right? Right. So if you go go it alone, you may think you do well, like I did with my first company,
0: Um, but no, you won't. You'll think you did well. You'll leave leave millions on the table.
1: Oh yeah, that's the nicest guy on the planet. And it's like, ah, we got this, we're good. (laughs)
0: so so, uh but before i go to my uh my next question um what would you say you learned when you when you lost the the millions you left on the table well did it take you years of experience of doing what you're doing now to then look back and realize that you left millions on the table or you know was it like after the transaction was done and you know i don't know like within a year or two, you had realized that you had left millions on the table? Like, how long did it take you to realize that?
1: Uh, I think there's partly like a few years later when we really started thinking about the selling process.
0: Right. um,
1: Because we had a recruiting division and a consulting, and they just wanted the consulting piece. Okay. So that was that kind of, you know, should we, as an organization, have taken a few years and said, look, either consulting or recruiting and mm. concentrate on one because that would have further niched us mm. so i've never thinking about that going you know we'd had those conversations before but never understood like the relevance of how that can affect your value mm. and how buyers can look at you uh, the other thing is is i got more seasoned and then obviously I'm heavy into this into this industry right. and started learning more that's when i realized as as i as i sat back i thought okay why that guy was like, nah, we don't need to go down that process. It's going to take too long. Let's go do that. No, we needed to go down the whole sales process. Right. Uh, and I started realizing, okay, had we gone through an MA type process, the result definitely would have been different, especially if I had like an advisor representing me. Mm. I just didn't know about it back then. Right. You, know? you don't
0: know what you don't know.
1: Yeah. I, I love that statement. You, you, you never knew that you never knew.
0: Right. You know, <laughs> Right. Um, okay. So let me ask you this. Um, you only work with businesses doing between 10 million and 150 million in revenue. Um, what does their profit margin have to be? Or on average, what is the profit margin of a company when, they, when you first accept them as a client?
1: That's a great question. Uh, and I'll try to like keep this one simple. So this is why we say 10 to 150, because uh, people understand revenue and sales Usually, like our, our bottom line floors, what's called like a million dollars in like annualized EBITDA. Okay. Which is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Okay. Okay. So, if you take like those earnings and you were to subtract interest expense, uh, subtract taxes that you have, subtract depreciation and amortization, that would get you to your net income. Okay. Okay. And that that number can be wildly different depending on you know, fixed asset intensive businesses have lots of depreciation amortization. Right. A SaaS consulting business that sells software has amortization, but probably no depreciation. Right. Uh, may not have interest expense, etc. So, but that's kind of that minimum floor. So you could you could have, you know, a five million dollar business that has a million even up. Okay. It's just harder to explain what that means easily and simply to just the average person out there in the marketplace. So we'll do 10 to 150. We will we will look at some smaller ones if we think, you know, this is a business we could probably like three to five acts, help them get there and then sell them. Okay. Because it's gonna be they're poised to do it. And so it's not gonna take us an inordinate amount of time and energy to get them to that level. And what that does—that's like an order of magnitude for their family. Right. I mean, we're hundred percent aligned with them to say, look, you know, whatever we can do to maximize your value and help you make the best decision right. for you and your family, that's what we're going to do. Right. Uh, if we think that it makes the best sense to sell now, then we'll talk about that. If we think, look, if, if you can, and we can tack on, you know, a couple years of effort and work then we could, let's say, you know, 2x what you're going to be sold now. Would you be interested in doing that? Because that's what we believe. Mm. Uh, and then we'll collectively help them, you know, make that best decision. Mm. And if it's not us, I mean, we're completely fine with that too. Right. You know, sometimes it's like, uh, we, let's let's talk with some of our colleagues over here. I think that you'd be a better fit. And we'll go right. down the path as well. But whatever's best for them is the approach that we take.
0: That, that's that's definitely um the right way to do business when, when you're doing what's best for the people you're serving, that that's the, that's the best way to go. I've learned that it's a young entrepreneur. Um, I, I wanted to um, ask you, you know, one of the things that you say is um, own your exit with a sound exit strategy or else the exit will own you. What do you mean by that? And can you give us an example of someone owning their exit versus someone who allows the exit to own them?
1: Yes, it's a good question. I mean, owning your exit, means exiting like on your terms, okay? Okay, uh, And understanding what it means to exit your business lucratively, right? Uh, how do you exit your business with maximum value? Right. Like doing your due diligence, doing your time, getting those right advisors around you, right. and then being able to exit on your own terms. Um, because I can't tell you, it's these sad situations where an owner will call now they're in a divorce situation, have to sell, right? Mm. Um, maybe uh, kids are sick uh, or they have to move. They've got elderly parents. Right. Uh, we'll get in a situation. I'm just sick of running the business. So I'm just going to sell it now.
2: Right. So, so, sit there so. and go,
1: oh my gosh, man. I mean, we could, there's so much that could be done to like exit with, you know, a lot more like cash coming into this business owner, but they're not actually owning the exit. So Mm. the exit owns that. And I kind of explain it this way. You can be pushed out of the business, right? Um, And pushed out for things that are outside of your control. Uh, And those situations can be very tough. And later, after you've exited sold the company and you have time to reflect, you're not happy. Mm. It just did not go at all, you know, what you thought. You went through the selling process. Like, oh my gosh, what I know now, I'd have done this completely different. Those are horrible things, and this is why we're kind of changing this whole exit journey process with our company. Mm. Um, the other side is that you have these business owners that have thought about it, and things are pulling them out of the business, right? Mm. So it could be, you know, foundation that they want to create, you know, to help, you know, starving kids in Africa, right, or to like build right. wells somewhere. Or they, a bunch of charities that have been put off to the wayside that are very important to them. Right, I'm going to serve on those boards. You know, I want to help. Right. Um, they may want to, you know, travel the world. Right, they may want to pick up a hobby. Maybe right. they were a big golfer 30 years ago, and they just want to do something again.
0: Right.
1: When, when you do that, what happens is you have a happy seller. And I can't tell you like when an energized, like happy seller. How much better the sales process goes than one that's just beat down and they have to get through this and just sell the company? Because the buyers see that. I mean, if the Mm. guy at the top has got this attitude about his company, why would I want your company? Mm. You
0: know? Mm. So I don't know if that answered your question or not. It definitely does. It definitely does. And that that gives a lot of perspective. My my next question. Um, one of the things that I saw was that 90% of all M and A deals taken to the market failed to close. And amongst the 10% who sell 75% of them aren't happy a year later. And um, you're a big proponent of hiring the right team. Mm -hmm. Uh, My, my question would be like, what are, what are the characteristics of the right team? Like, you know, when it comes to people, what do you want to see in a person that is on the team you're looking to hire? So that way you can sell and be happy.
1: Yeah it's a, that's a really good question you know with that classic like it depends caveat right um i always like to uh say that if you can spend time building out your organizational chart and i would say like your current chart and then you kind of peer into the future like a year or two out like like what you think it could look like okay and then put the people's names who are in that role, this will start to show like, well, you know, Mary's name is in six roles. There's no (laughs) way Mary can be successful in all six, right? Um, Okay. You know, so you'll start to see those kind of gaps. The other thing it's going to do is when you start thinking in terms of roles and not, not people's names, but roles, what you'll start to identify is as you like refine processes, let's say you start to leverage uh, a technical so- like uh, software for something you can say okay well this role is going to change here this role is better to do this piece and this role should do this component here now your team is starting to think in terms of like what's best for the company right the other thing that'll happen when you think of roles mm-hmm. you'll start to identify people right person wrong role right okay then you're going to identify like wrong person in the right role they're in the right role, but they're the wrong person. Like they need to be out, Mm. you know? Uh, And then the other side of the coin, when you get the right person in the wrong role, this is somebody that like in your hiring process, like you love them, right? but this is not the role that they're going to be best at and shine for your company. They're going to be better over here. Right. And then they'll go up the food chain and thrive. Right. So you have to be able to identify those situations. And then the beauty is that, as you kind of look at your different, like uh, your hiring process, like human resources and benefits and payroll and hiring, right? sales and marketing to operations, to like, you know, IT, to then getting kind of specific to your industry, customer service, things like that. You'll be able to go, okay, what talent do we need on the bus to make not only this role successful, but the boss successful? And then are we going to help to achieve the goals and objectives by hiring that talent? Mm. It's oh, wow. a it's it's a process everybody's got to learn it I mean that first hire is that first major goal when you actually have an employee right right <laughs> um, but then when, when you peer in the future and you're a lot more sophisticated and you've got multiple people in one role right mm-hmm. I got yeah. six customer service reps I've got you know six you know senior client executives as you start to round it out now you've got not only a mature organization but that, from the top down everybody can talk about it they can communicate what they do, why their role is important, what they need to accomplish, what uh, key performance indicators or metrics can tell them if they're successful or not in that role. Right. And you've got a high flying team at that mm-hmm. stage. Well, whatever business that you have.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Okay. And I definitely could see how that tremendously impacts when you go to exit the company mm-hmm. um, and the company success. I definitely can. So, my, my next question um, this is more so advice for um the startup entrepreneur that yeah. is in my audience um or you know even an entrepreneur that's not necessarily a startup but they're doing six figures um you know i know you have 25 years of business advisory and financial consulting experience working with middle market and fortune 500 companies um what what advice would you give to that smaller entrepreneur that doesn't have that type of experience to win deals with those type of clients,
1: mm. yeah, it's, it's a it's a great question, right? It's like the I'm on hunt. the ball today.
0: I'm asking, yeah, some great yeah. Questions.
1: <laughs> Joe's the man. Uh, no, this this is a great one because um, I always call it whale hunting, right? So there's two sides to the coin on that. When you get like your first big account. Uh, And it's a flagship account. You're going to use that to throw that name out, trying to get another (laughs) whale and another, right? Right. Um, But what what happens with those whales, what I found is that suddenly like 30, 40% of your revenue is coming to the whale. Now, what do whales do? They eat a lot, Mm. they demand a lot. So, not only do they start asking you to do like more things. So, if it's a product, hey, you guys could sell this stuff too, right? You could make this tweet here, you could do this, you could, you know, have us do like a million a year with that type, just that product alone, you can manage that. Well, maybe, but do you have the working capital to manage it? Do you have the sophisticated supply chain to make sure that that happens? So operationally, your business starts to get, you know, get crushed under that power of a much, much larger organization. Okay. Mm. Okay. Um, Your best bet when that comes in, believe it or not, when they, and they always do, when they start to stretch the scope, and breadth of your service is to say, no,
2: Mm. Mm. say
1: we, we know that's not, that's not what we do, but so-and-so can do that very well for you. Yeah. Okay. Believe it or not, they now know this is what you're great at. So when you stick to your guns and stick to your niche, then they actually will offer you more business than what you're good at. Mm. Um, The other thing is that there's a thing called customer concentration risk. Okay. When you sell your business, if you have revenue from any one customer that's 15% or more of your total revenue, buyers are going to look at that and go, what if that customer goes away? Right. Okay. So fortune 500 company, 25% of your revenue, if they disappear, big, bad buyer now has to fire like 25% of the workforce because you don't have the work for them. Mm. This is how they think. Right. They go, okay, how do we mitigate that risk? So as a young entrepreneur, when you're growing, you have to think about that. If you do get a whale, right. you know, phase it out, start smaller if you can, right, and then start working towards getting like another one on the bus, another one on the bus. Right. I would work for your existing client base on cross-selling right. as much as you can so that the average sale for your smaller deal starts to get larger, right? Maybe 25% more, 30% more, Right, that will start to reduce that risk. Right. And then the biggest thing is this, uh, it's called the power of the niche. Mm. Okay. You would rather sell one thing to lots of customers. Okay. than lots of things to a few. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That, that I cannot tell you how many yeah. times business owners, like they, they were great at that, man. Everybody knew them. They started making their big move and then they started shifting and adding more and more things. The only reason they can add more and more things is because the owner who's the most knowledgeable has the skills to be able to do that. So what happens It's always happens. The more owner dependency, mm. you now get more customer concentration risk and you become least valuable because if you remember what I said, the buyer goes, I just want that 10% of your company, right? That one niche you used to do that to me is the most valuable. I don't care about the other 90%.
0: Right. Right. That's but it that.
1: happens time and again, man. Every business starts with one great thing they do, and the great ones that sell for like ungodly money oftentimes stay matched.
0: Mm, I love that. So let's let's pick at that a little bit because I want to I I I'm getting it. I want to make sure someone that's listening taking notes right now is getting this. So uh, and I love how you I love how you referred to that first big account or the big accounts as well. So I think that's like the perfect like picture for us so you get that first big account you get that first well right and what you're saying is instead of then saying okay let me go and get 10 more wells it it, you know it's like really do great for this well begin cross-selling to some of your lower accounts making them bigger and then go out and get another well like like gradually build or am i kind of getting that wrong when i
1: well so um that first whale that you get operationally, you have to kind of figure out how to manage it because it's big, you know, we had right. our first- you've never,
0: fed, you've never fed a whale before. This is right. your first time feeding the whale.
1: Right, you know, okay. we had like for our firm back in the day, um, seven of the top 10 firms who were national vendors for supplying like resources to them. So we'd be billing, you know, every two weeks, like, you know, 160 grand, things mm. like that. So these companies become, you know, 2 million a year, 3 million a year as they're growing. Um, We got very good at managing like that machine. But then when we first got our like multi-million dollar consulting project where we're managing it, it was about a two and a half million dollar deal up in uh, Baltimore for a uh, mortgage company. And we were doing their entire like IT risk management program and getting them compliant with uh, Sarbanes-Oxley regulations. But that was us managing that whole deal. I think we had 18, 20 people on that project. And I mean, it was a tremendous amount of work to manage that whole machine ourselves. So what it did on our consulting side was it becomes the big resource hog. Mm. Recruiting loved it because they were able to, you know, find X resources. We need to specialize skill set, et cetera. Right. But it dominated consulting, mm. okay? So I would say the same thing. When you get that first whale and you figure out how to do it, you want to like systematize as much as you can and it's even if you're selling products, right? I mean, if you're selling products on that side, it's the whole supply chain. I mean, how do I, what like uh, revolving lines of credit do I need to be able to manage that machine? What credit terms do I need so that I don't go upside down? Right. Because I've, I've had uh, guys come up to me that we visited super niche, and like, man, we just got into Walmart, we got into Kroger, we got into Target selling like soy sauce and we're upside down and we think we probably have to close the company so they got like amazon calling they've got their fiction to hit the big time right right but they didn't spend a lot of time thinking about the whole operational logistics of how to manage that whole thing Mm. and the crater. you know Mm. so i would say as a business owner your job your number one job is two things it's serving like your team and making them as successful as possible, right? And making sure that that team, as you grow your business in their area knows more than you do. Mm. If like there was like three different paths that your CFO came up to you and said, hey, I think we need to do this, this and this. Like two of them, you should go, I wouldn't have thought of that,
2: Right. you know? And then your
1: job is to like go, okay, you know, based on what I'm hearing, I know you like A, but from what I've heard, I like B. Because right. you're you're the you're the visionary. I mean, that's and I'm good at that. I love like working with people that know more than me about stuff because I'm right. curious and I'm like that is cool.
2: Right. And if
1: you know as much as me, then why are you in that role, right? right? You need right. to be very talented. Um, the other thing is, uh, God, I lost my train of thought. Um, oh, your your other job is the getting your business. You're peering into the future and going, okay, we're starting to get more mature. So that a whale could come in, right? Right. And you need to be thinking, because that's your job, thinking ahead and going, okay, if it happens operationally, what parts of my business are gonna get impacted? Right. And what conversations do we need to have now? Right. Sales and marketing could get stretched. Obviously, delivery is gonna get stretched, product design delivery could get stretched, customer service is gonna get stretched, our finances are gonna get stretched on the banking side of things. So If you don't do that, nobody else is going to do it. And when when that big, I like this, my dad used to say this, probably three times in your life, he said, the ship's going to, your ship is going to come into the harbor. Mm. He goes, now, I would be willing to admit a lot of people like never even recognize that's their ship. Okay. Mm. But you have a finite amount of time at which to get on the ship, because look, eventually it's going to leave that harbor and go away. Mm. Right. And so when those opportunities present themselves, if you allow your employees to like run the ship and decide everything that's going to happen when the next big thing comes in, if you, if you get the opportunity, it's going to be great, but it's going to be a tough road to hoe, right? Mm. And stormy seas and all that kind of stuff. So those are, those are the two things that I would say are really important to manage that machine. And, and the cross-selling side of things is you should always... You know, you should always be promoting cross-selling and you should be promoting incentive comp plans that uh, incent off gross margin and not off revenue. Mm. And if you do that, your employees will sell the most profitable stuff, which means that you have higher gross margins, which means you have higher net
2: profits.
0: Mm. I love that. I love that. So th- this, is, this is one of my two final questions. Um, with all that you do, I know you have, a. I know you have to have a personal development routine of some kind, whether that's getting you prepared for the day, getting that prepared for the week, um, you know, or even if it's just getting you prepared for the year. Um, what is, What is your personal development routine? What, what gets you ready to do what you do?
1: Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, one thing I like to do is journal. Um, and I've kind of come up with my own, like, just looking at best practice journaling methods out there and, you know, what sections make the, the most sense. So I like to do that every day, uh, but I like to like not do it at my desk, but just kind of have a cup of coffee, you know, sit out on the back porch, but somewhere in a different environment and just go through that, okay? Um, what it does is it keeps things top of mind. And what are, the, what are the three things I'm gonna accomplish today? What am I grateful for, right? Um, uh, what quote do i think is like a great quote from even just doing research on write it down i I like that quote right you know um and then what am i going to read today that and it doesn't need to be a lot right it could be i want to read this bible chapter right Or i want to read like this something that's going to help me become a better person right whether it's professionally something i want to learn so i always have something like that it could just be 10 or 15 minutes of reading right It's very focused that way. And then, you know, at the end of the day, what, uh, did you accomplish those three things? Right. Um, And then what what could you have done better throughout the day? So that's one thing. Um, The other thing is a good friend of mine. We we both ran a marathon back in 2019 together and he's run a ton of them. And it was my first. And he said, Hey, are you familiar with this term, the four circles? Hmm. And I'm like, I mean, kind of, but not really, right? And he said, well, here's the thing. He said, so, especially with marathon training, he goes, you pick like one, like major goal that you want to accomplish. And the way the four circles work is one circle is your lifetime, like way in the future. The next circle is one year from today, okay? Okay. The third circle is one month from today. And then the fourth circle is today. OK, mm. so when you go to the next day, it's the next day. And then that next day, it's one month from the next day. So now you've added a, a, one day to your month, mm. one day to your year mm. and one well lifetime. Right. So it could be like, you know, I want to weigh I want to have, you know, whatever uh, BMI of 15 percent. Right. Or I want to, you know, uh, bench press X. Right. OK. But when you break it down, to what what are you going to do today? Right. Right. What are you right. going to do? appearing a month from now, like, right. what are you going to accomplish? Maybe you're benching like 10 pounds more, like a, on like a max bench. Right. And then a year from now you're benching 50 pounds more.
2: Right.
1: And see the way that rolling works is you can accomplish anything doing that. So that was a, it's kind of a neat thing. So I like to, I don't do the four circles I'm, I only do one thing on that okay. until it's embedded. Once it becomes like lifetime then you just kind of revisit it, maybe monthly or something like that. I think those two things are are helpful. They sound kind of corny or what have you, but I think it just helps you to stay top of mind where you're while you're thinking strategically about life, right. and your company, and you know all the different hats that you wear.
0: Right. It, I mean, it clearly helps. You're a successful man. It clearly helps. Uh, so my, my last question, I usually ask, um, if there was a if there was something I did not ask you today, that would have gotten a certain answer that you, um, you know. Uh, or they would have you know, got certain information from you to the audience that you believe they would know or should know, what would it be? But um, uh, you know, with you having kids, um, I, the, the thing that I really wanna ask you is if you could only teach your kids one thing for the rest of, like literally, you, you're only allowed to teach them one more thing. What would that one thing be?
1: Hmm, that's a great question. Um... I I think that um, it's going to come down to like uh, just to be grateful for like, you know, what God has you know, entrusted you with um, and then just help help other people be successful. You know, I just kind of believe that if you help enough folks, you admit your mistakes, you know, you do the best you can then things are going to tend to pan out. But I would say that, I mean, I, it's hard to really kind of fine tune it, but that gratefulness, I think is an important thing. Right. And then just helping other people be successful right. and just make sure that, you know, God's in your life too.
0: <laughs> right, absolutely. Gratitude is, is definitely the way I, I, I really, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I want to say thank you for joining me today. If you don't mind, can you share with my audience um, where they can connect with you and um, where they can, um, you know, uh, book a call with you, or if they wanted to hire you, um, or work with you, where they can find you.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, my email is great to get in touch with me. It's uh, s, Conwell. So you got s uh, Conwell, c o n w e l l at Final Ascent, and that's a s c e n t dot com because uh, people always are confused on that. On LinkedIn, I mean, if you look up Steve Conwell and Final Ascent, you see connect with me on there. I'd be more than happy to visit with you. And if you want to just sit down and chat at any time, just reach out. I'll be more than happy to do that.
0: Mm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for joining me today, Steve.
1: Yeah, thank you, Joe. It's been fantastic. Now I'm looking forward to further conversations.
0: (laughs) I definitely am as well. Um, Today was a great podcast episode. Um, To the listener, I really hope that you do more than just take what you heard today. I hope you actually use, the information that you heard today a lot of valuable stuff um and so until next time hope you have a blessed day i want to be me got more than my kid i could teach i want you to hear when i speak i want to free people in by stigmas and popular common beliefs don't want you to think i want you to feel look down inside you and tell me what's real if you're unsure then you're uncured we only get one life man it's a big deal do you love what you do Hey, I wanted to jump on here really fast and say thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you got something from the message that you can use in your life. If you are a mission-driven individual who wants to share your message and change lives, then I'd love to show you how building a podcast can help you do that. Please visit joewintersjr.com to book a free discovery call with me so I can help you out. If you are an organization looking to bring me in to speak with your team or at your next event, you can book me by visiting my website, joewentzersjunior.com, and scheduling a free discovery call so we can talk about your expectations and what you want from me. I'd really love to serve you. Have a blessed day.